Look down at Colossians 3, verse 12, please. And we're going to read for today's reading, Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Here's the word, of the, God, the word of God for us this day. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word and your goodness. And I would ask you, Lord, that you will add your blessing to the reading and the study of your word this day. Change our lives and grow your church that we might honor your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I, I want joy. I want my life to be full. I want my life to matter. I want my life to honor God. I want to turn away from sin. I want to take off the things in my life that dishonor God. And I want to put on to my life the things that honor Christ. I want to put on the things that make my life look like, reflect Christ. And I would pray, Christians, that you want those things too. And I'm glad to tell you that in what God places before us this morning, we are going to find some of the most helpful ways to find our joy in putting off sin, putting on Christ, living for Jesus. If you're a note taker, and I know some of you are because you tell me, and it's not always the ones you'd expect, by the way, there will be four points today, so be ready for those. And even if you don't write stuff down, follow along as we continue to learn to put on Christ together. So we're just going to jump right in. Point number one, how do we do this? How do we have joy? How do we live the life God's designed for us? Be filled with God's Word. First point, be filled with God's Word. Look at three, Colossians 3.16. It says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. One thing I've learned about our congregation, you know, we've only still been here about six months. Does that seem crazy to you, by the way, that it's only been about that long? Some people say, it feels like you've been here forever. (laughs) 
we got a lot of people in our church that care a lot about what they eat. It only takes making one little off-the-wall comment about Christmas cookies and tofu to realize this. <laughs> Brand new Facebook thread gets started. It's great. And regardless of how you feel about tofu or kale or carbs or proteins or anything else, I think we all can admit, every one of us can admit, that what we put into our bodies has a great deal to do with how well our bodies function. True? All right. Now that concept is also true of your spiritual life as much and maybe even more so than your, spiritual, than your physical life. What you put into your spiritual life is going to have a dramatic impact on what comes out of your spiritual life. Let me tell you a story. Back in my college days, I, learned, I saw something happen. It, it really did teach me a lot about what we're saying. I was helping a group of people to play music for a worship service that was actually happen, happening on Sunday at our county fair. If you think I'm a rock star, now you know, right? <laughs> I, I played the fair. And it, it was an outdoor event. It was at the grandstands, you know. The band was put up on a flatbed trailer as a stage. Have you guys been to events where like, they use like a pull-up-the-big-truck trailer for the stage? So anyway, we're up on a flatbed trailer, and one of the singers who was with us that day got a little caught up into what he was doing while we were rehearsing, and unfortunately for him, it meant that he stopped paying attention to the fact that he was on a trailer that was about five feet off the ground. And he took an unwise step backward and fell rather slowly and painfully off the trailer. He was okay. You don't have to groan. It's okay. But when he got back up, he kind of laughed and grinned and he said, he asked me this question. He goes, I didn't say anything I shouldn't have said over the microphone, did I? <laughs> you can identify, can't you? Now, before I could respond with my little guitar in my hand, being a young you know, college student, one of the pastors involved in the event answered with a very wise reminder. He walked past. He didn't break stride. He didn't miss a beat. He simply said to my friend, if it's not in there, it won't come out. How true is that, by the way? If it's not in you, it doesn't come out of you. It's true with nutrition, and it's true with spiritual life. And Paul knew that what's in your life, what's in the center of your heart, is of great importance. And that's why, as he wraps up this vital section on us dressing our lives with the attributes of Christ, he gives us one of the most important commands you will ever, ever hear. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Do you want happiness? Do you want spiritual life? Do you want to put off sin and put on Christ? Then make your life a home for the Word of Christ. It's significant here that Paul calls it the Word of Christ. Does that strike you odd, by the way? In all of Scripture, what are we used to hearing it called? The Word of God. Paul, right there, in one little turn of a phrase, continues to show us that Christ Jesus is God. The Word of Jesus is the Word of God. 
So what is Paul meaning when he says the word of Christ is supposed to dwell in us? What is that word of Christ? That is a reference, folks, to Holy Scripture. If you and I are going to be what God calls us to be, if we are to have the joy and the peace in our lives that God wants us to have, then our lives are to be saturated with Scripture. Time and time again, the Bible has told us that it, the Holy Scripture, is the source of what we need to live lives of godliness and joy. Just listen while I read you some verses. Psalm 1, 1-3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Well, who is blessed then? Who's the happy guy? But his delight is is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. How about Psalm 19, 7 and 9? The law, that's the written scripture, of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Or how about these verses from Psalm 119? Verse 11, I have stored up, hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Or how about verse 72? By the way, did any of you feel any jealousy or little those tinges of earthly temptation when you saw people going out to try to win like that, what it was, $800 million jackpot in the law? Did, did you, are you going to admit that you didn't even have a moment where you thought, I wouldn't mind $800 million? I mean, they say money won't buy happiness, but I wouldn't mind giving it a shot. You know? But... You want to be rich? Anybody here like to be rich? I mean, honestly, if you have the choice, rich or poor, you'd pick rich. Psalm 119.72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. That's not bad, guys. Or how about verse 105? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let's go New Testament. What did Jesus say? Matthew 5, 17 to 18. Do not think, Jesus said, that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, which means, by the way, not a Yoda. <laughs> not Yoda the character, guys. Star Wars people just went goofy right there. No, it, it, it's like the Greek letter I. Not a yoda, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. How about Paul? 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Would you like to be competent and equipped for every good work? I would. Or 2 Peter 1, 19-21 says, And we have something more sure, 
The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention is to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Please, please hear the truth declared by God in his word for you here. Do you want joy? Do you want blessing? And if you don't, you're dumb. I mean, you're going to sit there going, no, I'd just rather be unhappy and miserable. Want joy! Well, the word of Christ, the word of God, the Holy Scriptures, you let that dwell in you richly and God will fill your heart and your soul and your life with joy. Let it fill you. Let it fill you in such a way that the Word of God controls you. Let it be at home in your heart. You be the house and let the Bible, let the Scripture be the one who lives there and does all the decorating. You be like a glove. And you let the Word of God be the hand inside that glove that animates it and makes it move. Well, how in the world do you do that? That's what the whole rest of the passage is about, by the way. But just simply put, read God's Word. If you don't read it, you don't know it. Know God's Word. Come here and hear God's Word preached. Apply the Word of God to your life. Understand that the Word of God is perfect. It has no error. It has no possibility of error. So when your opinion and Scripture conflict, assume that Scripture is right. When your experience and Scripture conflict, Assume that the Bible is trustworthy and that your senses are deceitful. Where supposed scientific discoveries in Scripture differ, let Scripture be the one that you trust. When you've got decisions to make, let Scripture be the final authority on everything, absolutely everything. Now some people would say... That doesn't sound appealing. I want to be led by the Spirit apart from where all that Bible study stuff. Let me show you something fascinating. Keep your finger here in Colossians 3, please. But flip back to the book of Ephesians. Because I want to show you that Paul considers the Bible-filled life to be the Spirit-filled life. Ephesians 5. And I want to show you a parallel passage from Ephesians to Colossians. And just notice what gets interchanged, okay? Ephesians 5, 18. You can find 18 in your Bible there? Because you've got to see this with your eyes, okay? Ephesians 5, 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Doing what? What do we do if we're filled with the Spirit? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, go right back to Colossians 3.16. You've got to see this comparison. Colossians 3.16. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. How similar do those verses sound, first of all? Pretty close, right? Written by the same apostle at about the same time, most likely, or pretty close, right? Written to churches in similar parts of the world. So you've got to know we're drawing a pretty straight line. But in Ephesians, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Then he starts talking about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and all the rest. In Colossians, instead of saying, be filled with the Spirit, what does he say to do? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So listen, clearly, letting the Word dwell in you richly and being filled with the Spirit are parallel concepts. Do you want to be Spirit-led? Do you want to be Spirit-filled? Then if you do, let the Word of Christ, let the Word of God have its home in your heart. What's it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Ready to be filled with the Word. Christians, we're people of the book. The Bible is everything to us. The Word of God is our authority. It's the lifeblood of what we do in so many ways. We should center everything that we are and everything that we do and everything we think in that Word. So before we move on from this point, ask yourself this question. Am I letting the Word of Christ dwell in me richly? Is my life centered around and filled with the scriptures? Because if it's not, then you need to think about how can you yield more of your thinking? How can you yield more of your actions to the Bible? How, how do you do this? Do you need to know the Bible more? Then let's find ways to learn. I'll help you. We'll find time. We'll sit down together if we need to, or the other elders will help you. Right? Do you need to change your opinion about the Bible? Do you need to give the Bible the credence it deserves? Get into the Word, folks. Read it, learn it, hear it preached, submit to it, and let it fill you and let it change you in every single aspect of your life. Be filled with the Word of God. Guys, there's not a point I could emphasize more than this one. And I don't know how to emphasize it stronger. It's vital. Let's look at our second point, though. Let's ask ourselves how. Point two, teach and admonish each other with wisdom. Colossians 3.16. Now, by the way, I know you guys think that I'm incredibly creative. And how does he come up with all these sermon points? Let's see if you can figure out where this one comes from, okay? Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, (laughs) singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I think you can probably find where the point comes from, can't you? How do we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly? Here's another way. Paul indicates that one way we let the word of God dwell in our lives is to teach and to admonish each other in wisdom. Now hear me again, Christians. This is vital. This is big. This is important. We need each other. We cannot live the Christian life apart from other believers. You cannot do it. If any person ever tries to tell you that they don't need to be a part of a local church to live their Christian life, they are simply wrong and unbiblical. 
The Bible commands that we get into each other's lives in order to obey God's commands. You can't do this if you're not connected to and active in the life of the local church. Now, teaching and admonishing each other, they're sort of two sides of the same coin. Teaching is the positive-sounding side. To teach is to present information to someone in the desire that they're going to conform their life to it, right? If I teach you, I tell you something good that I want you to do or think. I might tell you some truth about God that you should start believing. That's teaching. You might help me to see some better way to obey the commands of God so that I might better honor God. That's teaching. Here's some truth have some more truth. This is good for you. Let me help you. To admonish somebody is the negative side of the coin because it's a warning. When you see me doing something dumb, and oh, dear friends, you will, warn me to cut it out. When I see you walking your life off a cliff, I, by the wisdom of the scriptures, will warn you to change direction. That's what admonishing is all about. And we're supposed to do this in the wisdom of God, a wisdom that only comes from the Word of God, applied by the Spirit of God. And so that means that we pray for God's wisdom and that we handle the Scripture with the respect that it deserves as the inspired Word of God. Only then are we going to have access to the wisdom that God offers us and that we need to help each other like this. We need teaching and we need admonition in our lives if we're going to live out the Christian life to the full. You and I need people to tell us true things about God. We need people to tell us true things about living out the Christian life. We need somebody to help us to stop doing things that hurt us and stop doing things that dishonor Christ. And we can't do that if we don't get into each other's lives with the word of Christ in order to be submitted to that word. If you want to be submitted to the Word, you need the help of other Christians to be submitted to the Word. If you want to please God, if you want to have the joy that you want in your life, you've got to have other Christians pouring into your life, and you've got to be pouring into the life of other Christians. So ask yourself this question. Is your life open to teaching and to admonishing? Think about this for a second. Who teaches you? Whom do you teach? You should have an answer to both of those questions, by the way. Who admonishes you? Whom do you admonish? To follow Christ faithfully, your life has to be connected to the lives of others in the church so that these things can happen. Only then is the word of Christ going to dwell in you richly as God commands. Now, this command and others like it is why we do the things we do at this church. This is why Providence Reformed Church is shaped like it's currently shaped. We meet for Sunday school and we meet for worship so that we can teach each other. Without sounding... It's always hard when you're a pastor and you want to talk to somebody about some of these things because you feel like you're, you're almost being self-promoting and I'm not. But Christians, if you're not regularly a part of our worship service, 
you are hurting your ability to be taught and admonished. You're letting go of the opportunity to learn from the Word of God like you should. And I would urge you to consider making Sunday school here a priority. We're learning good things in Sunday school. We're learning some good teaching, some good doctrine, some good theology. We're we're being taught and we're teaching each other. Please, if you have a chance, don't miss that opportunity. It's good. Even if it's cold. It was only cold this morning. It wasn't so bad other times. We could be in Minnesota watching a football game at like six below zero right now, so... Those people crazy. We also have our 242 groups. And that's another place where you have a chance to teach and admonish each other. Now, the name 242 comes from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where we see the early church committed to the teaching of the word and fellowship and prayer and all that good stuff. What's a 242 group, in case you don't know? It's a home-based group. It's focused on fellowship and application. And in those groups, we go through questions about the Sunday morning message to see to it that we're taking to heart and living out the stuff that God has been teaching us. It's a really good way for you to connect to each other for the glory of God and for each other's good. So if you've never tried a 242 group, it would be really good to do it. we got two of them right now. We're probably going to have more in the future. But talk to me. Talk to one of the other elders. Jason Lekowitz helps lead one group. Harold Wright and Grant Ray help lead the other group. Uh, They only meet every other week. Think about it. Think about giving it a shot. Guys, it is good to get into each other's lives. You need to teach and admonish each other with wisdom. Third point. Third point. Sing truth with gratitude to God. Sing truth with gratitude to God. Look at verse 16 again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So here we see one more way to have the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Singing. You guys like singing, by the way? pretty good singing church, honestly. When I first came here, I was amazed at how good it just sounded, hearing this little body of Christ singing together. I once heard it said that though people can seldom name five sermons that have impacted their lives and actually remember what those sermons said, people can remember hundreds of songs that taught them the truth of God. And that's no surprise to God. Now, Understand, we will always understand in this church that the preaching and teaching of the word is primary. The singing of the word and the singing of biblical truth is absolutely essential to the Christian life. Now, don't miss the fact that the context here is about the communication of the truth of God. And also keep in mind that the context here indicates that we are communicating. Who are we communicating to in this passage? In every other part, like the last part, who are you teaching? Who are you admonishing? Each other. Who do you think you're singing to? Be careful. Yes! I just heard the Lord and each other. And that's the truth of the matter. 
in the same breath that we hear Paul say that we are to teach and admonish each other, we hear him call us to sing. And that parallel passage in Ephesians that we read earlier, it's really clear, however, that singing is a means by which we communicate biblical truth to each other. We actually teach each other as we hear each other sing the truth of Scripture. Now, don't get me wrong. We do sing to the Lord. We sing for the glory of God. We sing His praises with the intent of reflecting back to Him the truth of who He is, His glory, His majesty, His perfection. But the truth is that the singing in the Bible that's commanded here is also a way for you and me to have the Word of Christ dwell in our church richly. Now, what do we sing? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Y'all, there has been so much written trying to argue what those three categories are. You wouldn't believe it. There was a time when I was younger that I was in a church and a guy asked, what are psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? And I was a snarky college student. So I told them, well, psalms are in the Bible and hymns are in a hymnal and spiritual songs are shined up on a wall. (laughs) He he said he was going to steal that. I don't know if he ever did or not. Truth is, there's no clear way to delineate the difference in those three categories. And I doubt very seriously that God ever intended for us to pick it apart. It's kind of like when Jesus said, what did Jesus say to love God with? All your heart, your soul, your mind. You could add strength if you want to, right? But do you think Jesus was trying to tell people, you better figure out which one you're loving with right now? Oh, am I loving with my heart or my mind? Am I loving with my mind or my strength? What do I do? That's not what he was saying. What was Jesus saying? Love God with everything you've got. That's what he was saying. Well, in just the same way, God's saying, sing all kinds of good songs to God. Sing songs from the Psalter of the Old Testament. Sing songs that aren't from there, but new songs for the glory of God. But songs that communicate to God and to each other the truth of God's holy word. That's what you do. And man, music is a funny thing in the life of the church. It is so subjective. What, what kind of song is beautiful? What kind of song is inspiring? I can remember, because I've been a worship leader, walking out of individual worship services, like one single service, and hearing somebody say to me, he could not worship with the music that was played that day. And after the very same service, have somebody say to me, this is the first time I've been able to worship in this church in years. Well, did we do good music or bad music? I've heard after the same service, somebody come and tell me we sang too many hymns and not enough modern music. And at the same day, have somebody tell me we played too much modern music and not enough old hymns. Which made me believe we did it just about right. Let me help you think about worship for just a minute. Worship is our performing reverential acts before God, demonstrating that He is the King and that we're the subjects. Okay? Worship, literally the word worship means to bow down with your face to the ground, like what you do before a king. You do all of those acts in response to God's word, God's revelation of Himself. You do it in accordance with God's revealed will in that word. Whatever God says to do it, you do it that way, right? 
So if that's true, if worship is me doing acts of reverence and homage and submission to God as the king, according to his word, according to his revelation, according to his will, can I tell you guys that music is not the only thing that is worship? Right? Listen. Any part of your life that demonstrates that God is your king and that you're his subject, any part is that you responding to God's word in obedience and in humility is worship. That's why when you give in the offering for the glory of God, it's worship. That's, right, that's why when you choose not to do something that goes against God's word, it can, it's worship. When husbands husband their wives and children respect their parents, it's worship if we do it for the glory of God. The singing aspect of worship is just one part. It's an important part, to be sure, but it's one part. So, be careful as you consider worship not to equate. And again, I, I, I wish I could say this in a way that I really think will grab you. But you've got to get this. If worship's about me doing acts of homage and submission to God, please be careful when you think about singing not to equate the quality of worship, even the quality of the music or, your, or whatever, with the movement of your emotions. How can I make that understandable better? Don't think that worship is good if you feel something good. And worship's not good if you don't feel something good. That has nothing to do with whether the worship was honoring to God. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't feel joy when you worship. I I pray you do. But worship is not primarily about you or me having a particular feeling. Worship is far more about truth and submission. John MacArthur wrote, Singing is to be directed to God as praise and worship offered to Him for His pleasure and glory that it is edifying to believers as a byproduct of its main purpose. You get the point? If it makes you feel good, that's awesome, but that's not the number one reason. Now again, don't, don't overdo what I just said. Jesus wants us to worship in spirit and truth, right? He wants you to worship with your heart and your head. He wants you to love worship. But don't think for a moment that just because a certain song doesn't stir your heart the way a certain other kind of song stirs your heart that it's not good worship. Is it true? When we come together, we will sing. We will be committed to musical worship in this church that is both true and beautiful. We will not compromise the truth of what we sing for the sake of musical feel. But we will not neglect the command of God to sing and play skillfully as best we can. And we will, as a church, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly in how we sing. We will be thankful to God for who he is and for what he's done and we'll do it in song. Again, Christians, here in this, a call of some importance on your life you, just, where do you have to be if you want to sing together with the body of Christ? You're pretty much going to have to be here. You can't sing to one another if you're not with one another. We sing better when we're together anyway, don't we? 
We need each other to be here and to participate in order to obey this command to sing like this. Now look, I get it. Music is not everybody's thing. But it is something that God has provided us as a spiritual discipline for our, our growth and for his glory. So let us be a singing church. Last point, point number four. Center your life on the glory of God. Center your life on the glory of God. Look at verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, this last verse for today reminds me of almost every job description I've ever seen. Job descriptions love to list for us our duties and responsibilities, and sometimes with a lot of specificity. You will do this, you will do this, you will do this. But have you ever noticed that at the end of almost every job description list is the catch-all? And other duties as required. It's in my job description. You guys did it to me. Just saying. No matter how clear the description is, right, just in case we miss something, we want you to do the other duties as required provision sort of scoops it all up, doesn't it? Well, the verse we just read has that very same impact on the commands that Paul's been giving. He's telling you, take off the sinful practices of your old life. And he's telling you to put on the attributes that make you look like Jesus. And Paul can't list everything you ought to stop doing. And he can't list everything that you ought to start doing. And so in one breath, he gives the overarching principle that determines everything that we do. Whatever you do, whether it's in word or whether it's in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How all-encompassing is this? Man, anything you do, words, actions, whatever, you should be able to do it in the name of Christ. Now, back in 1 Corinthians, Paul gave a very similar command. 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, listen to this. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. By the way, do you see the parallel and the difference? On the one hand, Paul talks about doing everything for the glory of God. What do you say to do everything for in this verse? The name of Christ. The points are the same. Glorify God equals glorify Christ. Why? Jesus is God. Just in case you missed it, the other 14 times he said it in this book or whatever. Do you want to be happy? Yes, no. Still want to be happy? Okay. You want joy? You want, you want your life to be what it was made to be? then shape your life and your actions in such a way as to be sure that what you do and what you say and what you think reflects to the universe around you the glory of God. Act in the name of Christ, living as a representative of Jesus on earth. Let your entire life be an offering of thanksgiving to God the Father through Jesus the Son. So how do you live this life? You let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You focus on scripture. You connect with believers. You teach and admonish each other by the word of God. You sing the truth of God with thanksgiving and joy. And when you make decisions about what to do or not to do, you ask, informed by scripture, is this something I can do in the name of Jesus? Will this bring glory to God? Now, does that sound restrictive to you? Well, that's pretty rulesy. Please remember, who made you? Who made you? God made me. God formed you in his image. 
The reason you exist is to show His glory. And when you do things that demonstrate the glory of God, you do, therefore, what you were made for. And nothing, absolutely nothing, can make you happier or fill your life more full than when you do what God made you to do. For you to give glory to God in all that you are is your source of greatest happiness. And no matter how happy something seems like it might make you, if it dishonors God, ultimately it will leave you wanting. Now what if you're hearing this and you don't even know where to start? I can tell you. Start by becoming a child of God. How? Come to Jesus for salvation. Trust in Him and Him alone is your only hope for forgiveness for your sins. Yield your life to His leadership and to His Lordship. Ask Jesus to forgive you and to lead you from now on. And if you need help, come talk to me. I'll help you. I'll help you get started. But once you have Jesus as your Savior, which most of you do, be filled with God's Word, teach and admonish each other with wisdom, sing truth with gratitude to God, and center your life on the glory of God. Because that is how to have the ultimate joy as you become the very thing, the very person God made you to be. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. And I pray you would make your word more central in my life than it's ever been before. I thank you for your church. And I ask you to make me more committed to your church than I've ever been before. I thank you for songs. And I pray that you will help us to sing with greater joy than ever before. And I pray that you'll help us to do everything, whether we eat or drink, in word or deed, whatever we do, let it be done to your glory. And let it be done in such a way that gives us great joy because we magnify you. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.